Well, hello there. This is another episode of the Project. Um, This is um, Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity. For some reason, I have lost our host, Denny Griffin, and I'm just waiting for him to call back in, as well as the guests that we have scheduled for today. Um, So welcome to the Inside Lens Network. We offer programming that's dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or a comment for today's guest, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. Again, oh, here we go. Hi, Denny. You're here as well as our guest. I've just given the introduction, so we can just move right along. Very good. Yes. Um, so you can you can go ahead and just bring in our guests, and we can get started with the show. We're all introduced and ready to go. Excellent. Uh, on occasion, we hear horror stories about people who get tangled up in the morass of agencies dealing with children's issues, such as Child Protective Services, Family Court, Foster Care, and others. Fortunately, the vast majority of us never have to deal with such matters. But to those who do, it can be a nightmare. Today, we're going to take a look at a case out of Michigan and talk with Janisha Lewis, a mother who has had the unfortunate experience of having to deal with the system. Janisha, welcome to the show. Janisha? Janisha? Area code 231. Maybe it's a caller instead of the guest. Okay. Area code 231, is this our guest or is this just a call-in? This is uh, Harry. Um, I'm waiting for Jonisha. Good morning, Harry. How are you? I'm doing good, sir, and yourself. Good, good. Listen, while we're waiting for Janisha to call in, um, uh, could you kind of start us out? And, and telling us about uh, you, you are familiar with Janisha and you have worked with her. So could you please explain uh, your role and, um, and, and what Janisha will be talking about with us today? Well, um, I do uh, some family advocacy uh, work because of my own um, story that I went through. And uh, Janisha, um, the Lewis case was, I got to say, one of the most nightmarish cases I've seen in a long time. Um, the children were actually moved from her care, um, not due to any abuse or neglect. Um, what it boiled down to is uh, CPS, uh, Child Protective Services, had continued to um, knock on the door, do home visits, and she had gotten to the point where she said, enough was enough and allowed them to view the children and talk through the screen door, but told them, you know, you've been to the house enough times. We're we're not doing this anymore. Um, So that started, you know, a few things in motion, Uh, you know, workers, some workers, unfortunately like to try to flex their muscle and power over parents. Um, 
so this particular worker then decided to go ahead and go judge shopping. Um, I believe, if I'm correct, and I, I don't have the file right in front of me, but uh, this particular worker visited six different judges before she was able to actually get the order for removal. Um, she was turned down five other times. She found one judge late at night uh, that agreed to go ahead and, and play along the removal. What's really upsetting here is, is that um, I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with anything out of Wayne County or um, know of anybody in Wayne County, but it, it's one of the more difficult family court systems here in Michigan. Um, Janisha was then assigned um, a court-appointed attorney. Um, I don't want to say that there's not good court-appointed attorneys out there. There's just very few uh, in the system that really care. And unfortunately, she, she drew the short straw. Um, she was given a court-appointed attorney who never even made a court appearance on her behalf. So there were a lot of different things going on with, with this case from the beginning. So many different violations. Well, Terry, do you know, can you tell us what precipitated all of this with um, Janisha and her children? Were there issues within the home that um, were reported to CPS that maybe that's why they made the initial visit to her home? Was there, what was the problem? Um, certainly. So she had a older child and I'm horrible with names. She, she has, you know, several kids, um, and I can't get the file to come up right now. I'm actually trying to pull everything up as we speak. But she had an older child. She was 14 years old. And she was actually living with Jonisha's mother, so grandmother. Um, Jonisha had signed off uh, legal rights. And the child, um, for lack of better words, was a troublesome child. Um, there were a lot of different issues um, emotionally and for safety concerns. Um, that child went to go with grandma instead of remaining in the home with the other children. Um, this child had, you know, created an incident over at grandma's house and actually had gotten uh, the police involved, which triggered the initial CPS. Uh, CPS went to grandma's house and went to the child and then went and followed up with Jonisha, telling her that she needed, or she actually, they told her that she had to have the child come back to live with her in her home, even though Jonisha went through the court process and everything to assign um, the, ch the child uh, legally to grandma. Okay, so obviously that wasn't the end of it. Um, so that's what initially got her into the system, correct, it's as far as how yeah. this all started snowballing and created even more problems as time went on. Can you explain some of those? So, you know, as time went on, they, they had went back and forth um, several times with trying to force her to take uh, the child back. But 
what I find curious is that uh, during this time, CPS never offered um, any of the support system in place. They never offered any any counseling or anything for the child or for the family, um, which, you know, they have funding to do such things to prevent families from being split up. Um, that was never even offered. And initially, when this started in court, um, they weren't even... They weren't even, Jonisha and her husband, the family, wasn't even notified properly that there was going to be a court hearing. Um, she actually received a text message from the social worker in regards to the court hearing, and it was only three hours before she was supposed to be in court. So, it, you know, it just from day one just started snowballing. Is this something that's that's kind of commonplace in this particular county? Um, so Wayne County, um, I've had other parents that have had very bad experiences with the family court system in Wayne County, and especially when they get assigned a public defender. Um, Janisha went through a couple of public defenders and ended up representing herself with the support of other uh, parent advocates. Um, she didn't, at that point, trust, you know, public defenders anymore. I mean, especially when you can't even show up for a court date. How do you represent a client without, you know, being there? So, unfortunately, I wish I could say it's not common, but I'm finding out that it is becoming more con- common in Wayne County. So, so just to make sure I, I understand, uh, th- there was an initial issue. CPS got involved. Uh, they made several, uh, apparently, uh, visits to the house. Uh, Janisha finally put her foot down and said, we've gone through this enough, so on and so forth. Uh, the caseworker uh, for CPS then decided that uh, it would be necessary to remove uh, one or more children from the home, and uh, Judge Shapt went to uh, several different judges until she found one willing to sign the removal order. And then uh, after that, Janisha is now in the system and so forth, dealing with the system. Uh, she gets a court-appointed attorney who uh, doesn't show up uh, for the court dates or to represent her. Uh, and and now she's in a full-scale battle with the, uh, I'm going to call it the system. Uh, so she's she's involved now with uh, apparently family courts into this. Uh, you have the child protective into it. And now, as this thing progresses, other county or state agencies become involved. Uh, what other agencies get in into this matter after CPS and Family Court? Um, so in Michigan, the uh, so the children were then considered, you know, a, a ward of the county or state. At that point, um, they removed all of the children from the care of her and her husband. Um, they went ahead and placed them into a temporary foster care program. Um, I want to say it was, I'm trying to get the name here pulled up, it was 
Oh, it was the foster care system. Uh, I can't find the name of it right now, but anyways, um, so it triggered temporary foster care, which, you know, that there's a separate worker for that. Now, they're supposed to ensure visitation and the needs and stuff of the children, um, you know, schooling, medical, counseling, psychological. Um, when this started, that unheard of for about four months. Nothing happened. So the children weren't getting proper schooling, medical, or anything for about four months. And yet, keep in mind, they were removed from the parent, and there was no abuse or neglect. But yet the state failed in means of education. Um, They failed to adhere to their own guidelines when it came to providing services to children. So... Why would you remove, I mean, you know what I'm getting at. Why would you take and remove the children from a parent who has no abuse or neglect, who loves their children, was homeschooling, kids were doing great, and put them into the system, and yet you fail to provide even the basic necessity that's required? It it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And... um... Just if I can ask a question here, in in Michigan or in that county, uh, is is there someone to appeal to? In other words, was there someone to complain to or to go to to uh, kind of demand that the, that the children receive an education and uh, receive appropriate health care and so forth? Or uh, is it like a dead end? Um, unfortunately, it's a bureaucratic dead end. So we went ahead and uh, we, we did go ahead and, and make complaints to the children of unbudsmen. Um, those fell on deaf ears. Uh, I find a lot of the uh, agents or workers that are with child of unbudsmen are usually ex-CPS or social workers that have just moved to a different department. Um, the way it's set up here in Michigan is that the Department of Unbudsmen reports a to the executive branch, which is the governor. Um, there is absolutely no oversight from legislation whatsoever. Um, in fact, our legislation, and I find this in most states, has no real power or able to even get any information in what CPS does. And a lot of it is hid behind uh, privacy laws, um, best interests of the child, um, and under laws that protect minors. So let's talk about the foster care families who took in these children. How many children were put into the system in foster care? Um, you're going to quiz me on that one. I'm gonna, I, I want to remember, I, I believe, all five of them. Okay. Were they put in a in a family together, or were they separated? No, they were separated out, um, and that was one of the main things. Also, is the, is the main goal is to try to keep those children together. In this case, that did not happen. Um, in fact, during a portion of the time while this case is going on, one of the the children, um, I want to say. 
uh, I want to say Denisha, I might be wrong on that, or maybe Jeremiah, one of the children actually ran away and was somewhere in the city of Detroit, ran away while under state care, and the only way the parents found out was through the news on social media that their child was missing. Um, no worker, no court personnel, no social worker, CPS, no official ever contacted them. Um, but the news had the information that there's a missing oh, that's child. Crazy. There was an actual Amber Alert. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and it's not easy to parents. get an Amber Alert. You know, Amber Alert isn't all that easy to get with a missing child. All the criteria has to be lined up. Um, so basically, these children were taken from a, a loving home. They were being taken care of. They, are, they were fine, doing okay in school. And so the system has basically jumped from the frying pan into the fire and put them in harm's way. It seems to me, um, I mean, is now let me back up a little bit. Are there are there resources that check up on these foster families for, you know, looking for some of the same situations that may be taking place for whatever reason they took the children out of the home in the first place? In the state of Michigan, again, uh, the agency that oversees the foster program um, is is through DHS, Department of Human Services, and CPS. Um, they're supposed to do a, an extensive background on foster families before they get approved um, to have kids. So, I mean, unfortunately, there's not an oversight there with that. It's it's all the same department. So it's there's no. Uh, monthly checklist. So these families are vetted uh, initially, but there's no no one who goes in and checks on them on a regular basis or checks on the children on a regular basis. Do the caseworkers or social workers do that? The caseworkers and social workers are supposed to do that. Um, I believe they have to do, and don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm a little rusty in the foster care part, but I believe that they are required to make one weekly visit to the foster care family to check on the children. Um, but recently, you know, we found out with just our, our own, and it's been in the news up here in Michigan, that CPS has actually been failing to, to do that. And they have just been instead actually laying eyes on the kids. And I'm not saying it happened in this case, but it's been in our news up here that, you know, social workers are just filling out the paperwork. They're not actually going and laying eyes on the children, and that was probably about a month ago in the news system up here. Well, that could be very part of the problem right there. Right. Yeah, and I do have the, it, the foster care that system that they were in, it was called the, the home Homes for Black Children. That's what it was called. I, I've pulled up the file here. Uh Carrie, that you know, this is uh, I, I can only imagine how frustrating this would have to be for Janisha to, to have this happening. Now she's lost her children; they've been taken away. 
uh, as we've said several times, without any uh, neglect or abuse issues uh, being involved. Uh, Then they find out that one of the children has run away from the foster uh, family, from the foster care, and they only find out about it through uh, an Amber Alert being issued for the child. Did... uh, was there something about when the children were removed that that uh, Janisha lost all parental rights? I mean, is, was, is there some legitimate reason for her not being notified that uh, the child was missing? Um, there was no, from reviewing her entire file and all of the court paperwork, there, she still had um, legal rights to be notified of what was going on with her children. She was not terminated. Um, she was facing termination, yes, but she was not terminated, so they had an obligation to keep her in the loop of what was going on with the children. And why, why would she be facing termination of her parental rights? Why why was that? If there was no abuse or neglect in the home, what, what basis would they do something like that? Uh, let me pull up just a second. Let me pull up her the the order because CPS was the one that actually filed uh, the termination. Now, um, the good news is, um, you know, that later got taken off of the table because there weren't enough grounds to even do termination. Um, I don't know if she's shared with you guys the good news, um, but the case actually got dismissed late yesterday. So the family has or is in the process of being fully reunited. Well, that is definitely good news, and maybe that's why why Janisha didn't have time to call in today. She could be, you know, taken up with with those issues. Um, I just, I don't know. I just find it it it's boggling my mind. I'm trying to figure out how how a system can move forward with terminating parental rights when, you know, there's no grounds here. I mean, it's obvious for a layman to see, let alone someone who actually works in that field. Well, uh, right. I mean, having seen so many cases myself, it just involved my mind because even on their family team meeting, um, you know, at FTM, they get together with the parents and social workers and everybody, and they're supposed to have this meeting to, see how it's best to keep moving forward with the children and, and keep everybody in the loop. Um, and one of the reports that I have, I want to say it was dated like March of last year, they admit right there on their own paperwork uh, the reason for removal was mother not complying with allowing the social worker in their home. <laughs> um, last time I checked, we still had constitutional rights. You don't have to just let a social worker come into your home. You you don't have to with the police. There's not a warrant. So a social worker is not any different. Um, uh, but Carrie, is yeah, it, I, I, is I, it, would it be safe to say, you know, I, I'm gathering there was, uh, and I'm sure it's not supposed to happen, but I, it, I'm, I'm forming the opinion it did happen in this case that there was some personal issues possibly between the caseworker and Janisha. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure they're supposed to be fair-minded and, and open-minded and neutral, you know, I mean, protect the children. But uh, it sounds to me like there was maybe some personal animosity here with the judge shopping and the, 
the move to uh, terminate her parental rights and all this. Uh, Would that be a logical conclusion that that this got into a personal uh, animosity, perhaps? Um, I believe that's that's well. You're hitting you're hitting the nail on the head there. Um, so you know, if you've ever spoken with with Jamisha, she's a very um, firm and and determined person. And um, if you're a parent that's gone through this, and you're backing a parent into a corner, yes, that that parent is going to be loud. Um, they're fighting for their kids and their family. So who wouldn't? Um, and in this case, you know, yes, there was animosity going back and forth. Um, Yonisha felt she was in the right. The social worker felt she had the power to do what she needed um, and what she wanted. And it went, it did go back and forth uh, a few times. In fact, it even got to where, you know, we were asking why Yonisha's husband was even involved in this because he wasn't even a named respondent yet the whole time. They weren't even allowing him visitations. He didn't get visitations until later on down the road. He wasn't even a respondent on their petition. And she was willing to move out of the house at the very beginning to allow him to have the children. And that wasn't an option. At least on CPS's eyes, it wasn't an option at the time. Well, let's um, follow the money trail I... here. Let's follow the money trail oh, as yeah. far as this, the way this system is set up. I mean, we're looking at five children going to five different foster families who are each getting paid to care for these children. You've probably, I mean, I'm sure not one social worker or case manager is handling all all of these five different children's cases. So let's say, you know, maybe there's five different social workers and they're all getting paid. So it's, it, you know, it, and I've, I've not just this case. I've, I've heard of a lot of other cases and the, and the way that this is all set up. It's like a cottage industry. You've got layers and layers and layers of people who are all getting paid on the backs of these kids who are probably not mm-hmm. benefiting at all from all of the funding that's given to, to social justice agencies. And these kids are not benefiting from it a bit. And here they're taken out of their homes. They're put, they're separated from their family. They're separated from their brothers and sisters. And for what reason, I mean, seriously, what reason could there possibly be for a system to be so aggressive to do something like this? So, so you you are correct in the funding. Um, the Title V funding from Social Security that comes from um, federal dollars. Um, so every child enters into the court system or family, I should say, mainly children that are placed in foster care. Uh, there are federal dollars that are appropriated. And the more children that are in the foster care industry, the larger your budget grows. Meaning federal funding from the Social Security Fund, Title V. Um, that then gets matched with a certain amount of state dollars and is given to the counties. Um, so from that point, you have the counties 
funding, the state receives funding from the feds. You then have all of the experts and contractors that are involved in the case from psychologists to counselors to foster care workers to additional CPS workers that are supposed to manage these programs. Um, you have the guardian item who is supposed to defend the best interest of the children. And to be honest with you on that one, that is a whole other subject for a whole other show. Um, the guardian item in this case should have seen what was going on with these children and demanded their best interest. But there's a lot that get circulated around. And parents don't really have much of a chance when you're fighting uh, somebody who has, with an agency that has access to Uncle Sam's pocketbook. I mean, they can outspend anybody. And for what good reason? There is no good reason. I mean... Um, We've basically answered the question here. It's all about the money. Unfortunately, it is. Um, if it were truly about the kids, and even in this case particular, if it were truly about the kids, they would have received the services they were entitled to from day one. They would have received services not to have been taken apart and split up in foster care. But why not put services in place to support the family staying together as a unit. I mean, if CPS really wanted to do some good in, in this case, and they were determined to be involved in this case, why not allow those services to take place with the family together instead of splitting them up? And I can answer that for you because you get more funding when you split them up and put them in foster care. Exactly. Exactly. And and we we wonder why we we sit back and wonder why we're raising a generation of children who are angry, who are depressed, who are running away, who are are getting involved in things they children shouldn't get involved in, and I think it all goes back to putting them into a system that doesn't really care about them. They they don't care about these mm -hmm. kids. Um, you know, it it, no, it just seems to me right. that resources would be so much better spent had they gotten together with this family while they were a family, while these children were all together in the home and spent whatever it takes to make it right, to make the situation better, to do whatever has to be done to make that situation at home better so that they could prevent this, but it doesn't work that way, and that angers me. You're exactly you, you you're exactly right. If we were as a society really, really cared that much about future generation, um, we would start looking at our own backyard and really looking at what each state, the Department of Human Services, is doing. Um, because you're, you're right, we are taking children and separating them from their family we, when they're, they shouldn't be. I have seen cases, and I have parents that come to me, and, uh, you know, some cases I will read the court briefs, I will do everything I, I can as a person to help. And then there are some cases, and it's hard for me to even say this, but there are some cases that I look at, and I'm like, okay, I can see why CPS is involved. 
and I had one in particular that sticks with me, where I seen that CPS was involved in this family. I actually agreed with their involvement, and that takes a lot for me to say. I followed it just out of curiosity, and uh, CPS actually just turned a blind eye and let the children stay with these parents who were drug abusers, and this was their third go-around with the department, and this was out of Malcolm County, and I was just absolutely flabbergasted. I'm like, how do you have parents over here who have a history of drugs, you know, history of drug abuse with children, small children? You're going to turn a blind eye to this. You'll put in a couple of services here and there when actually these children should have been removed. But yet you take this case where there's no abuse, no neglect, and you put all these children in there. And honestly, I think the main thing they looked at was, and I'm, you know, just for background, as many of your viewers can probably hear, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a white gentleman that's middle-aged, Christian, and I'm going to say it. When they came to this case, I think what they looked at was here's a family of, with five black kids, mom and dad. Mom and dad aren't going to fight that hard, or they didn't think they were going to. Moderate to low income, we can walk all over this family. I think they looked at the family and said, this is easy pickings, and we can have five kids in our foster care program. And I'm just going to put it out there. I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, this is this is really messed up. I mean, just really messed up. But I, well, I've I know seen the it. The whole time that this is going on, they're charging charging the family child support. The state has charged them child support this whole time. Jonisha has got something somewhere around a $200,000 bill from the state of Michigan from this for support of her children. That, to me, is extortion. Yes, absolutely. So They're, it's, they're making money from all angles on this deal. They are. They are. And how's the family ever going to recoup from a $200,000, you know, bill like that? So the state wants a couple of hundred thousand in back what they're calling child support. Um, right. it, 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 are they still going to be after that, even after this decision yesterday? Would that have any effect, uh, you know, on this uh, child support issue? Um, unfortunately, it won't. The state will still want refunded. Unbelievable. What, yeah, 200 grand. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing. Yeah, Especially yeah, when they're not getting the services. No, no, the children didn't get the services until way after this had started. Um, and, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, for for uh, being a parent advocate, i got to say that Jonisha did a lot of her own uh, of research. I've never had the opportunity to work with a mother that was so determined um, she was on. She was placed on our central registry here in Michigan, um, which is another issue in itself. But um, CPS basically can take a parent, open a case, if you meet a certain score on their scorecard, which is all opinionated, 
um, they then go ahead and process you, put you on a central registry as a child abuser or neglect. So they placed her on the central registry. So um, as she fought it. She fought it and got removed twice. Um, twice. They put her on this while this was going on, and twice she fought it, and the administrative court removed. Now, because there was an administrative court, she had to represent herself. You don't get a lawyer. It just gets worse and worse. This is oh, this is just. I'd, I'd like to. <laughs> I'd, I'd like. I'd love for our legislators to just sit down with some of us parents and really go through this and understand. Because you know they're talking about budget issues. Well, you know, here's some ways to fix some things right now. Right. Right, and I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm flabbergasted at the motivation to do something like this, and, you know, there's just so many people out there who are benefiting off the backs of these kids, and that's just not right. I mean, everybody's out there screaming for you know children's rights and awareness of child abuse and and yes there's a lot of families out there that should never have children um it's not that that's not the case here this is definitely not the case here but i i'm not saying that every family deserves that chance because some families don't deserve that chance when like you cited earlier when there's a lot of drugs involved and or violence in the home um you know the children shouldn't be exposed to all of that but to to do what this case has done it it just i don't i don't know i don't know what to say there's just no words that that can that can express what a travesty this is Jenny, I see right. you're and, back. <laughs> you know. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Terry. You were going to say something. I, I was going to say you, you're you're absolutely right, and I'm trying to find the stats on this uh, report. One, there was an investigative report that was out earlier this year on Michigan's um, failing foster system, foster care system. Um, one of the things that was highlighted in that report, and I wanted to find the actual statistics, um, is that the children that go into the foster care are actually being prescribed psychological drugs, drugs for, you know, psychological emotional problems. I, you know, the amount was staggering. It was well over half of the children in foster care. You know, you take Jonisa, this case, Jonisha's case with these children. Um, this is going to be a lasting effect on them. You know, are these children going to suffer from PTSD? Are they going to worry every time somebody knocks at the door? Oh, God, are we going to get separated from mom and dad? I mean, what is going to happen here? That's never been really followed. There's not any statistics or data on that. And not to sound like a cold person, you know, talking statistics and data here. But I don't think we as a society think long-term and what this lasting effect is going to have on them. You know, there's a whole trust issue right there that is just broken. 
you talk about social workers, you know, and I have a good friend that corrects me every time because she says, I'm not CPS, I'm a social worker. And she does a lot of good with, you know, people who are in, in need. Um, she's not a CPS worker. And she gets frustrated at the system because they're doing the exact opposite of what she is. She looks at everything as a, a long term, you know, how is this going to benefit the client? Am I doing more harm than I'm doing good? I don't think those questions are ever asked when CPS enters. And it's sad. We have to start thinking that way. The other thing that really upsets me is, you know, recently we had in the national news about, you know, parents being separated from their children at the border, illegal immigrants um, being separated from their family because, you know, they're crossing over and breaking the law. Tell me what law he was broke and where's the outrage? Because this happens on a daily basis all around the country to kids that are citizens, to families that have lived here legally that aren't causing crimes. And we're outraged over illegal immigrants, and rightfully so. But shouldn't we also be outraged at what's happening to our own people? I agree with you. I totally agree with you. We have, we're outraged about everything these days. I mean, you, every day it, it, the card flips to another issue to create outrage in our citizens here. And yet, even, you know, I think today is the beginning of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And what has happened? What has really happened? We're all aware of domestic violence. We're all aware of the issues but what are we doing about it? We're not doing anything. There's no action. Everybody is outraged. Everybody's angry. Everybody wants to point the finger of blame at this person, that agency, this, that, or the other. But what and what are we really doing to fix it? What are we really doing besides educating and bring making awareness campaigns? I mean, everybody and their brother can do that. Anybody can. But it takes the warriors out there, the people who know what they're doing, the people who nobody will listen to, to make a, a, a simple changes, whether it be in the system or whether it be um, just a simple tool like the evidentiary abuse affidavit. But it's not accepted. It's not accepted because there's no money behind it. So that's my outrage you're right. of the day. <laughs> you're, you're right. I, you know, I would love to do I, I, I know we will never have a perfect world or society, but, you know, I wish the one thing that we could manage to get right is, is this, you know, with, with the foster care system and, and the taking children out of harmful homes or maybe providing the support needed to help a family. I just, I, I think if we were to actually start right there, a lot of our problems with crime, you know, failing educational system, different things like that would start carrying itself because you would have that family unit. And I, but unfortunately, like you said, the, this all runs off a of profit and there's no profit in keeping a family together. So what, what do we require? Uh, now, obviously each state, you know, in jurisdiction is, might be a little bit different in their, their setups, uh, you know, government agencies and so forth. But uh, 
is it going to have to be legislation? Well, um, I'd love to see legislation on a national level. Um, I always try to have hope. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I think they're too busy talking about other things that don't really matter to the American people. But I believe that each state and body of legislation could take this issue up on its own. Um, You have certain states that have even gone as far as looking at taking CPS workers and having body cameras on them like they do the police. That way there is no deviation from what is actually said or occurring. Um, I personally think that's a great idea. Um, I wish it would happen here in Michigan. I don't think that there's enough votes um, or enough legislators to to tackle that right now that are willing to step out of the box. Um, But that that would be a, a good start. You know, let's see what's actually happening. Let's hear for ourselves what the children are actually saying or reporting. You know, what is the social worker telling the parents? What are they really telling the parents? I think it's a way to keep everybody honest. I think that would be a start. Well, and we certainly have the technology to do that. In this day and age, there shouldn't be any question about who said what. I mean, you know, we can tap into just about anyone's conversations or videotape or or however the best way is to have it done. We've got the technology to make that system right. And like you say, I don't think there's any checks and balances here. There's, It seems to me that social workers, I, I mean, they're, you know, I'm not downing social workers, don't get me wrong, because I, I don't know that I could even do that job. I, I mean, it takes a special person right. to be able to do the, the job that they do. And there's a lot I know. I personally know a lot of excellence or social workers who, who take the issue to heart and take their jobs to heart and they have the heart to do it properly. Um but on the other hand, just like in every other institution, there are some who just don't care. And they're in it for the money, and they'll do whatever it takes to to make that happen. Um, but it just doesn't seem like there's enough uh, reporting, proper reporting, or maybe there's too much reporting and they're just checking the box. But again, like every other issue – we can't look at things with a broad scope. We have to take each case individually. You can't just go down the list and say, oh, well, you did this and you did that, so this is the consequences of it. It. We have to listen to people a little bit better than what we're not doing now and take it on a case-by-case basis and investigate it that way and then come up with a plan. You're exactly right. Each case needs to be looked at individually and going going from there. Um, unfortunately, in family court, you know, there's there's a saying that a lot, I hear from a lot of parents. Um, you're guilty until proven innocent. And if you study the family court dynamics and, and the laws in family court, you can have your children uh, removed just, you know, on, on a preponderance of evidence can start the ball game and get the children out of your home and into foster care. And a preponderance of evidence is that eh, something might have happened. 
you know, it's a lot different than criminal court where you have to have clear and convincing. Family court doesn't require clear and convincing. You know, family court allows hearsay or hearsay evidence, you know, third-party hearsay evidence even um, in some cases. Where in criminal court, you have to get it right. It can't be hearsay. And it's just, to me, it's just sickening that criminals have more rights in the judicial system than parents. I think we've got to look at that process as well. Well, and we're also looking at our future. These kids are our future as well. And, you know, human capital is is our greatest resource in this country. Uh, as I'm quoting a very good friend of mine who works along those lines, it's, you know, our, our human capital is our investment. It's our investment in the future that's going to be a lot more valuable to us than, than anything we can put in the bank. And we're doing a very lousy job of creating humans that, you know, are going to grow up and be productive citizens. Unfortunately, that's the case when, you know, too many times, P, there's a stigma. There's a stigma put on these kids just for being foster kids. You know what I mean? As they go forward right. in their lives, that stigma follows them. Not not only that, but I'm, I'm going to say that a lot of them are probably having mental health issues. A lot of them may be developmentally disabled. So they're carrying around a lot of baggage already, and they're not even adults yet. So what are we going to do with them once we grow them up? And then we have another system for you once you're an adult. You know, we'll we'll get you into the mental health system, and, and we'll get you into the welfare yep. system. So we're really screwing things up at a very, very early age. And if we don't do something about it, we're in trouble more so than any of the political things we're listening to right now. That's nothing compared to what these kids are going to bring us. You're right. You're, we're looking at a lost generation and that, that trend seems to be continuing. It, it, I don't see anywhere where it's slowing down at all. Um, you know, I, I don't even, I hate to think sometimes what the future holds, um, if this trend continues and we just keep, you know, separating families just to get federal funding. Yeah, it's, it's a very sad situation that we've got ourselves into. I just, I, I, I have no clue how to get us out of it. Yeah. I would say, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, I mean, in the state of Michigan, I, I think some of these social workers, well, first of all, in the, in the state of Michigan, you know, just statistically, you know, Lansing Journal put out not too long ago, um, only 18% of the workers, state workers, um, social workers, have 10 years of experience. Uh, most everybody else is five years or less. Um, so, keep that in mind, you've got to remember there's got to be, with those numbers, a lot of turnover in the department of CPS. So you're having a social worker that's probably getting burned out after, you know, three, four years and somebody new comes along. Maybe that's part of our problem right there too. Fresh, new, not much training. 
Um, that might be something that the legislators could address, but unfortunately, Lansing itself isn't really talking a whole lot about this. And you would think with the state being under federal rules and guidelines right now because of a federal lawsuit against them, there'd be more more initiative to revamp this program to really get into the nuts and bolts of how DHS works. Um, but it's an election season, so silence what we get. Carrie, uh, we're yep. appro- approaching the end of the, our time here. Uh, uh, we're Sorry that Janisha, you know, couldn't join us. But I, uh, if if the reason is is that news from yesterday, uh, God bless her, and uh, and that is great news. And uh, uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, that I and Delilah both of uh, are tickled pink that uh, there's been some resolution there. I hope the, uh, you know, the financial issue with the back child support. I don't know what can be done about that, but. Hopefully, it can be remedied somehow. Uh, uh, you've done a great job in uh, explaining her case and, and uh, you know, the, the problems with the system uh, in, in general. Uh, so I want to thank you very much for sharing uh, Janisha's story with us and enlightening us on the other uh, some other issues as well. Thank you. Thank you. And would you please, uh, if I don't get to talk to her, would you uh, please convey to Janisha our uh, congratulations? I most certainly will. I imagine right now that the entire family is on uh, cloud nine, and I'm I'm, I'm positive that she's just uh, spending her time hugging her kids because it it came as a shock to all of us um, when that news came down. Uh, that they were just the court was completely dismissing the case. That wonderful news, and it's I guess uh, you know th- that's a great uh, a bit of information and news to end the program on. So again, uh, yeah. thank you very much for for joining us today, and uh, congratulations to Janisha on uh, on that excellent news. Thank you. You guys have a great week. Okay, thanks again, and uh, to our audience, thanks for listening. Until the next time, stay safe. 